you've drawn here to worship him this morning, and if you're joining us for the live stream, we're glad to have you with us as well. Uh, it is, as you know, a beautiful, dry, sunny day for us to have our church cookout immediately following the service, so I hope that you'll be a part of that. So let me just quickly tell you how we're going to break down that time. Uh, so immediately following uh, the service, uh, we're going to try to, as quickly as possible, gather at the, uh, the playground. Uh, I'm sure that some of you have noticed on your way in that uh, we have a new playground in the back for the kids. So we want to try to meet out there really quickly. I know you're going to be hungry, but uh, meet out there. Uh, do it sort of a, a quick uh, cutting of the ribbon, prayer, blessing for the meal, blessing for the playground, and then we'll transition back to the building, have lunch at whatever time parents seem deemed or deemed most appropriate. They can let the children loose uh, on the playground. And then at some point during our fellowship, we'll sort of uh, focus on, uh, on Travis and Brooke and want to celebrate with them as they have their baby coming soon. And so we're going to you know, present gifts, do a quick game, and just be able to pray for them as well. And then after that, you are welcome to, to hang around uh, for as, as long as you'd like. So if you did not bring anything or if you are um, just sort of here in town for just a period of time, don't worry about it. We'd love to still have you uh, join us anyway. So don't feel free. Don't feel like you, ha- you cannot come because you didn't bring anything. So please come. Uh, we have plenty of food, and it should be a really good time. Uh, quickly, I want to also mention to you that uh, this coming weekend on Saturday, May 27th, we're going to have here at the church at 2 p.m. a memorial service uh, for Bob Hett, uh, who is uh, Rhonda's dad, to celebrate his life and ministry. Uh, so you are welcome to come to that. It'll be a, a memorial service and followed by a uh, short reception uh, after that that is here at the church. And then another quick thing I want to mention to you is that on June 4th, which is a Sunday immediately following the service, we'll have a congregational meeting. It should be pretty quick. Um, it's just to review the finances uh, for you um, and let you know how we are doing up until this point uh, in the life of the church. So those are all the announcements I have. And so let's gather, let's, let's go to the Lord and let's, and actually I'm forgetting my wife has an announcement. So, um, The women's ministry is starting something new this summer called the Homemakers Club in an effort to encourage and equip women to cultivate life-giving homes for their families and those they, in their reach. So um, for about six Monday evenings in the summer, different ladies from the church have offered to host in their home a specific topic. So I'd really love to encourage you to go. It doesn't matter if you're single or married, have children or not, older, younger. This is really for every woman. And it should be a really sweet time of fellowship and fun. There'll be desserts, time to ask questions. And even if you're not super interested in that specific topic, it'll still be a sweet time to get to know other ladies and learn something new. So we'd love for all of you to join. Um, please look at the sessions and let me know which ones you think you want to go to so I can let the host know how many people to expect. Amen. Great. This is why I write things down. I didn't have that written down. so I forgot. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Let us, uh, let us uh, join our voices to sing of the great glories of Jesus Christ. Uh, and if you are here, have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're, we're glad that you're here. And our prayer and desire is not only that you would know Jesus Christ through our time together this morning, but that you would also know him personally by believing in him as your Lord and Savior. So let us go before the Lord and let us lift up our voices and sing to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's do just that. Church, let's stand. 
I'm going to read uh, off of uh, God's word. It's, it's in Psalms 147, where God says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. Amen, right? For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Now, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, and he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So let's do just that this morning in worshiping our Father in heaven. Amen. And I'll need a little bit of your help since uh, it's just going to be me. Amen. Your glorious cause, your glorious cause, oh God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, so that everyone might know your name. Yes, Lord. Let Oh God, give us your strength, oh God, and courage to speak. Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. Yes, Lord, Lord, use us as you want, whatever the task. By grace will preach your gospel till our dying breath. Yes, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, so that everyone might know your name. Yes, Lord, let
Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. And he the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. And in our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. And come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect Son of Man, in his living in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. And see the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand. mystery Christ the Lord upon the tree and in the set of ruined sinners hangs a lamb in victory and see the price of our redemption see the Father's plan unfold bringing many sons to glory unmeasured love untold yes Lord come behold and come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death the God of life but no grave could ever restrain him praise the Lord he is alive what a foretaste of deliverance how unwavering our hope christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes what a foretaste of deliverance how unwavering our hope Christ in power, resurrected, as we will be when He comes. Lord. We long for that day.
shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith and speak Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, and true humility. Yes, Lord, test, test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity, and cause our faith to rise our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over grasp the heights of your plans for us and truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity and then by grace we'll stand on your promises and by faith This morning, through, through the songs that we just sang, the praises that were lifted up, Father, I, I pray that we may understand what we're singing, for we need you, Father. Lord, as we pray, teach us to pray. And help us to believe, Lord, in the power of prayer and understanding your word, Father. May your spirit, Lord, work in us as we sit under your word this morning. May we be drawn, Lord, to your feet. Wherever we are in our walk, 
as believers, God, that you may show us and provide us, Lord, your word. Lead us this morning, God, as we ask you to speak, O Lord, as we just sang. So, God, you are worthy of our praise, worthy of our time together as a church, as a body this morning. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll have our children dismiss you to their classroom. going to read to us from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, and then we will spend some time in prayer before going into the Word. Matthew 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things, excuse me, to those who ask him? Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. God, you are our Father and we are your children. God, how sweet it is to know that that you are a gracious Father. And as Jesus makes clear in this passage that, that you are a better giver of good things, to his children than we as earthly parents are in giving good things to our children. Lord, whatever we do have today comes from your gracious and sovereign hand. Every good gift comes from above, coming down to us from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Lord, and even if we lack anything right now in this moment, in this time, in this season, we still know that you are a good Father. And if there is anything that we do lack, it is because, it might be because you have something better for us or because it is not the right time for us to receive what we, what we ask for. Or perhaps... We just don't know how to define what a good thing is. But you know, Lord, what we think as good, you may not think as good. So God, we we entrust to you our requests, our desires, not only knowing that you hear us, but knowing that you are a good giver to those who ask And that you 
know what is best for us. Lord, how easy and how quickly we are to be filled with anxiety and distress and worry when needs arise, when challenges present themselves, when we are facing difficulty and trials. How easy it is for us to talk about our needs than it is for us to pray about our needs. To become worried about our needs than to pray for our needs. Lord, forgive us for the moments that we lack faith, for the moments that we are sort of dragging our feet to come before the throne of grace and make our requests known to you, either because we are just so forgetful or sometimes, if we dare to admit, we lack faith. Sometimes, Lord, we feel our own inadequacy and our own weaknesses and we question whether or not we have any place before your throne of grace. But Lord, your gospel reminds us that in Christ Jesus, righteousness has been credited to our account. In Christ Jesus, we have been adopted as your sons and daughters. So you will not turn away those whom you have redeemed through the blood of your Son. But you beckon us, and you command us, and you call us to come before you and present our needs to you with confidence and with faith. Lord, would you help us to make haste and go to you with our needs, we have the encouragement in the scriptures to continue to go before our gracious Father and even continue to ask for the same things again and again, to continue to knock, to continue to ask, to continue to seek. You are not bothered by us. You are not bothered by, our, by the repeating of the same requests. So Lord, by your Spirit, help us to keep coming to you, and to keep asking, to keep pleading, to keep knocking until we receive an answer from above. Father, we pray this morning for, for Dwight and Karen. Lord, encourage them and remind them that in their seasons of discouragement, in their seasons of stress, Lord, that you are the gracious God who continues to hold on to them. And as you hold on to them, Lord, help them to take hold of the Lord by continuing to pray, by continuing to seek your face. Lord, sustain them each day as your mercies are made new with each, ri- each day with the rising sun, that you would pour out to them fresh encouragements. And we pray that your peace would rule upon their hearts and their minds. Lord, continue to provide for them, continue to to guard them from the schemes of the evil one, and sustain them in their faith. Father, we pray for for Sharon Miknowich. God, we pray for a deep conviction and a repentance in her heart, Lord, that she might turn to you and that she might turn to the church once again. Lord, the scriptures warn of the dangers of neglecting the fellowship of the saints. 
Father, would you soften her heart and compel her to come to Christ. Father, we pray for those who are discouraged. We pray for those who need an extra measure of your sustaining grace. Father, we pray for those whose faith is weak in this season. Lord, God, we pray that you would encourage them. We pray, God, that you would strengthen your children. Lord, remind them that they have a precious Savior who loves them dearly, who cares for them, who intercedes for them because he is a faithful high priest. Lord, and use us, use our our hands, our feet, our words to encourage our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we pray for the proclamation of the gospel, Lord, to the ends of the earth. We pray that your great name might be made known to all nations. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We pray, God, that you would equip and call many to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard before. We desire, Lord, for nations to glorify your name, that many would come to the obedience of faith. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Send more laborers, God. Father, we pray not only for the evangelization of the world, but we pray also regionally. We pray for a great movement of your spirit. We pray, God, that your church would be given the boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, there are many enemies coming together who are opposing the church. So greater boldness is needed. More wisdom is needed. Lord, so empower your church to continue to proclaim your gospel. And we pray for a glorious and a great salvation. And God, we pray for our country. Lord, the Psalms remind us that you have set your king on your holy hill, on Mount Zion. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our nation, Lord, that they would seek the Son, they would kiss the Son and seek His favor, lest they perish in His might and in the fury of His wrath. We pray that there would be an allegiance to Jesus Christ as King. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those who are in a season of retirement, whether it is from work or whether it is from the joyous work of raising children. Father, we pray that you would give to them a great season of rest. Lord, that you might use them to continue to serve others. Father, we pray that you would give them wisdom to know how to use their time well and profitably unto your glory. We pray that their season might be marked by a a vigorous pursuit 
of Christ. Bless them in their season. So, Father, we entrust all of these things to you, knowing that you hear us, and knowing that you have, that you listen to us with an intent to respond. And so we look forward to all that you are going to do. And we also, as you have taught us to pray the scriptures, Lord, we pray also the prayer that Jesus teaches us, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 4. Acts 4, 23 to 31. Next week we'll finish Acts, chapter 4 that is. Then we'll take a break from the book of Acts. We'll spend uh, a few weeks on the topic of prayer, delving deeply into the topic of prayer, Lord willing. And then shortly thereafter, we'll, we'll continue to work through the Psalms during the summer. Acts 4, chapter, or verse 23, down to 31. When Peter and John were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we, we are needy. Lord, I am needy as your servant. Asking that you might help me to make the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart acceptable to you. And Lord, the words that I have to say don't matter if your spirit is not behind them and using them for your glory and the good of your people. Father, help us 
to receive your word. And by your spirit, we pray that you would fulfill your purposes through your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you are familiar with George Mueller, who planted or instituted or put together or constructed many orphanages. I think it's around five orphanages, serving somewhere around 10,000 orphans. Before he embarked on this endeavor, he actually had met with several businessmen to try to generate some ideas, some thoughts, how to start something from the ground up. And he met with these businessmen and he became very surprised and very distraught because many of these men had shared with him that it is nearly or virtually impossible to start a business from the ground up and to do so ethically without having to cut corners here and there. And God used that to essentially set George Mueller on his path And when it came to establishing an orphan house, what was his desire? What was his great motivation? And he answers in this way. He says, I certainly did from my heart desire to be used by God to benefit the bodies of poor children, bereaved of both parents, and seek in other respects, with the help of God, to do them good for this life. I also particularly longed to be used by God in getting the dear orphans trained up in the fear of God. Praise the Lord. But still, the first and primary object of the work was that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. So he went about this, not asking for help from anyone, not as a because he's prideful or too arrogant to ask, but because he wanted to God to be magnified and for the world, including, he would say elsewhere, to show unbelievers the reality of God, and that he serves a God who is faithful and still answers prayer. And so the very great theme, the great legacy of his life as we know it today is that God answers prayer. And we see this also in the testimony of those who many have come before him and many after him. And in fact, the great, one of the great testimony of the scriptures from beginning to end is that God answers prayer. And that is very much what we see in the passage here this morning, that God answers prayer. And if I could put sort of a a communal spin to that statement, it would be that God produces results when the church prays. God produces results when the church prays. So the way I want to sort of go about this passage, three points, and all based on three temporal relationships that we see in this passage. Temporal relationships, it sort of comes from study of the Bible, and it sort of examines what is the relationship between one sentence and another, the one that comes before, the one comes after. How do they relate to one another? And temporal relationship is essentially showing when this happens, this happens. And there's three of those in this passage. The first is in verse 23 
The second is in verse 24, and the third is in verse 31. So first, verse 23, is when we draw our first point, and that is, when the church is in need, the church gathers. Verse 23, when Peter and John, after having been arrested and threatened by the religious teachers for preaching the gospel, they were released, and they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Christ came into the world seeking a bride for himself, and that bride is the church, redeeming people through his sacrifice on the cross. And when Christ saves an individual, he does not just simply leave them as individuals, but Christ joins them to himself and also intends for them to be joined to other believers as well. And so the assembly of the church is the meeting of the saints, and it is in the meeting of the saints where the presence of Christ most dwells. It is through faith that we are united with Christ, and it is through faith in this union with Christ that we are also then united to one another, serving the same Lord, united to the same Lord, and the scriptures present this in a very unique way, in a way that is intended to be distinct from your closest relationships in your life. Probably for most of us, if not all of us, family. And for example, in Romans 12, 4, we see the uniqueness of this relationship in the life of the church, the body of Christ. It says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So this is described as one body with many members. Ephesians 4 says similarly, similarly, speaking of this union, this oneness, it says there is one body, that is the church, and one spirit, just you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The church is one body, glued together by one spirit, having responded to the one hope of the gospel, headed by one Lord Jesus Christ, walking by the one justifying faith, having identified with Christ through one baptism, serving the one God and Father who is over all things. And as believers, all believers are joined to the universal church, but believers are also called to join and be part of a local church. And why does this matter? Why is this important? Because we see actually this in the life of the apostles. Peter and John did not work in isolation. They went and proclaimed the gospel and were threatened, they were arrested, and then finally they were released. But they did not work in isolation. What we see is that their immediate response is to go to their friends, to go to the church. The apostles were not sort of these super apostles that they didn't need the church, that they could have functioned individually apart from the church, but they still very much needed the church and they remained tethered to the church. 
And certainly there are exceptions out in the world where brothers and sisters are persecuted for their faith and they do not have a church to meet with regularly. And I think there is special grace that God showers upon them to sustain them. But it's not the norm. In most cases, believers are called to tether themselves to other believers. A Christian community may be compared to sort of vines that continue to bear fruit and continue to grow and spread out, but ultimately, if you trace the vine, there's always a root, and the vines are always traced back to the same root. And in the Christian community, that root is the church where Jesus Christ's presence dwells. And when we sever ourselves from Christian community... We sever ourselves from the life of the church. And go long enough, we, be, we wither and are not able to bear fruit and we die. The Christians tether themselves to one church. And there's a particular practicality of this union that believers share with one another. 1 Corinthians 12.26 tells us, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Right, so very much like I said, if you have a deep gash on your arm and it's painful, right, you can't somehow turn off the pain receptors so you can no longer feel the pain in your arm. No, you, you feel that pain so very much in the life of the church, what it means for the church, for, body, for believers to be gathered to one another and have this union with one another is that when one member suffers, they all share in the same suffering. When one is in sorrow, they all are feeling sorrowful. When one is rejoicing, then it is also the rejoicing of all. Hebrews 13, there the writer to the Hebrews says there that uh, to remember those who are in prison, he says in Hebrews 13, remember those who are in prison as if you were there suffering with them. We see in the book of Acts how the first church shared in all things. They had all things in common. Nobody had this sort of this possessive nature about their belongings, but they distributed freely to all and sold things in order to care for one another. We see in the first year that they, they together devoted themselves to the same things. So what this union means, as it relates to what we are seeing in this passage in Acts, with regards to prayer, is that the prayer requests of one becomes the prayer requests of all. So when Peter and John were finally released, they immediately went to the church. Why? Because there was a need. Right? And we'll understand more of this need as we continue through the passage, but there was a need, and the immediate response, which is a lesson for us, is to make haste to the church. Make haste to the brothers and sisters. There is a need, you make haste. Go to God's people. Right, as we all know in the, in, in the old fable that it is slow and steady that ultimately won the race. But as Christians, we should be marked with a, the haste, the speediness of the hare and go 
to the presence of Christ in Christian community. Needs ought to drive us to crave help at the hands of God. Like a bird makes haste to its nest, so Christians, when needs arise, should make haste and seek help and comfort at God's nest, and that nest is in the life of the church. Another lesson we take from this first point is that needs should gather the church. That's what we see. Not only the apostles make haste to go to their friends in the church, but they gathered together to listen to the need. So when the church is in need, the church gathers. Then secondly, when the church gathers, the church prays. When the church gathers, the church prays. And we see this in the second temporal relationship in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There are two opposing things that are happening here at this moment, not only in Peter and John's life, but also in the life of the church. And that is, on the first hand, that there is this opposition to the church. There's this opposition to the preaching of the gospel. The religious elite and the authorities of the day said, stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or else. But on the other hand, there was the need to continue to preach the gospel. And then that drives them to prayer. So let's consider the prayer. There's at least three movements in this prayer. The first movement is sovereign God. They begin by ascribing God, his sovereignty, the one who created all things. There's an appeal to God as the sovereign creator of all things. And I think this is intended to point to the fact that God is authoritative, that there is no authority above God's, and there is no authority that is equal to the authority of God. And then it goes on to the second movement in his quotation from Psalm 2. And this points to the rage of the nations. Psalm 2 is intended to be a messianic psalm about God putting his king on a holy hill and the nations raging against God's anointed. And even though there is this rage towards God's anointed, we have then the sovereignty of God brought to mind again as the church prays and says that whatever the nations did towards God's anointed, it was according to the predestining hand of God. So what we see is what's predicted in Psalm 2 comes then to realization in the life of Jesus Christ. Herod and Pontius Pilate representing the kings and the lords and the rulers of the world, 
Gentiles representing the heathen nations and the peoples of Israel, the very people of God representing the religious, all coming together to rage against God's anointed, whom God had put on the throne, ultimately coming to nothing, but instead showing that even their rage is intended to move forward the plan of God for his glory. You obviously see it in the life of Jesus Christ because it is through the crucifixion that we receive our salvation. We see another example in the scriptures very early on in Genesis in Joseph who was delivered over to the Egyptians as a slave. God intended to further his plan to save ultimately his people through the hand of Joseph. We see later on in the book of Acts with the stoning, the martyrdom of Stephen for proclaiming the gospel and what happens afterwards. Right, the church, the Christians, who were for the most part localized in one region as a result of Peter's, or, or rather Stephen's martyrdom, become afraid of the persecution and they, they disperse. And in that dispersing, they continue then to go on and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to other parts of the world. All showing that at the end of the day, that no one and no authority and no nation could ever come against God's anointed. In Psalm 2, verse 4, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, laughs at the rage of the nations. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, what is the church's point in referencing the psalm? And their point is that the opposition continues. That the opposition that was once directed towards Jesus Christ, that opposition has now changed directions. It's now pointed to the church. Which is really no different than pointing it to Jesus because Jesus identifies himself with this church so that to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus Christ. So the point is, in saying these things and praying these things is to say, God, you're sovereign over all things. The opposition that your son, that your king had faced that ultimately led to his crucifixion is the same opposition that your church faces today, which then leads to the third movement, which is the request. So they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and sign to perform wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So there's another relationship here between clauses and sentences, and that is a situation and response. What is the situation? The situation is that there is threat. There is opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the church says, Lord, look upon the situation. Look upon their threats. And respond by giving your servants boldness. Lord, give us boldness. And in the request, they're showing what the priority of the church is. I'm convinced that there are two main priorities of the church, one internal and one external. And the internal one comes from Ephesians 4.11, where it tells us that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, of the fullness of Christ. For what purpose? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, one of the main priorities of the church is to continue to grow, to maturity, to reach the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll tell you that we'll never reach that in this life, but it's not an excuse to strive for it. Our main objective is to become more and more like Jesus Christ, not just individually, but also in community, together, to become more and more like Jesus Christ to grow in maturity so that we may not be carried away by whatever is taught out there in the world, so that we may not be so easily led astray. So our aim is that we might continue to grow. So don't take it offensively if the person next to you tells you, hey, grow up. Because we're all called, even the most mature believer is called to grow up in maturity in the likeness of Jesus Christ. The second priority of the church, and it's not that one is more important than the other, they're all, they're both equally important. The second priority of the church, which we see in this request of the church, is an external emphasis. And that main, and that priority comes from Matthew 28, which is the Great Commission, where it tells us there, Jesus said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The main priority of the church is to continue to grow up and to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So notice what the church is not praying for in light of their situation. They're not praying for protection. They're not praying for safety. They're not praying that God might let them retire from gospel ministry. Instead, their prayer is, God, give your servants boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To not be silent, but speak with all boldness. And in this, we see a valuable lesson for us, and that is that God, God equips those who pray. He equips those who pray. I had a one, I have a wonderful friend who had told me many years ago, something that I still carry with me to this day, and that is that God does not call the equipped, but God equips the called. In other words, if you already had everything that you needed, if you were self-sufficient, to do everything that you needed to do, right? that God doesn't care to use you. God cares to use the needy. God cares to use those who recognize their need. It is those that God uses gloriously and wonderfully for his purposes. And very rarely, when God gives to you a particular calling or a an assignment or a responsibility, whether it's out there or in the life of the church, very rarely does he give you everything that you need. 
the moment that you receive that responsibility or that assignment. But most often is that you will be equipped gradually as you continue to live faithfully out that responsibility or that assignment, you're going to more and more recognize your own needs and your own weaknesses, and the intention there is to drive you to prayer so that you can ask and so that you can then receive. A soldier is sent on his mission equipped with a walkie-talkie so that when he needs assistance, all he has to do is call in for help. But that help will never come until he picks up the walkie-talkie and asks. There are times when following the Lord's call, we will certainly realize we need something that we don't have so that we might be reminded that the strength to accomplish what God has given us to do does not come from ourselves, but it comes from the Lord. Our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but our sufficiency is in Christ. In the apostles, what we see here is that they didn't have all the boldness at the ready. They didn't receive it the moment that they received their apostleship. No, they recognized that they needed something more to continue to fulfill their God-given assignment. And what they needed was boldness, And so they prayed for boldness. When the church is in need, the church gathers. When the church gathers, the church prays. And then lastly, when the church prays, God answers. When the church prays, God answers. And we see this lastly in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with all boldness. In studying the scriptures, I love these these temporal relationships because it tells you when uh, when a statement is true. When this happened, this happened. When my car broke down, I fixed it. When I became hungry, I ate. When I prayed, God answered. So God answered when I prayed. I ate when I became hungry. I fixed my car when it broke down. The apostles in the church, they gather together, and what happens when they pray? God answered. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not that they were saved again, not that they were saved a second time, but it's been something else. There was a greater filling of the Spirit. And it's something that I think the New Testament makes the case for, that's something as we as believers should pursue, and that is a greater filling up of the Spirit. What does this mean? It is like turning up the temperature in the furnace of your heart or casting more logs into the fireplace of your heart so that the flame is burning hotter and larger and brighter resulting in greater fervency for the things of the Lord, greater passions for the things of the Lord, and perhaps a much more devout devout prayer life, perhaps a greater understanding of the Scriptures, perhaps much more passionately serving others in ways perhaps that you haven't been before. They were filled with the Spirit and given boldness 
proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of opposition. Boldness is given when they prayed. And this and many other passages points to us the great necessity of prayer. Even on the Sermon on the Mount, even in Jesus' first sermon, Jesus makes the case for the necessity of prayer. In that sermon, he says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So in other words, the door's not going to open if you don't knock. You're not going to receive if you don't ask. You're not going to find if you don't seek and look. John 57. There Jesus says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you want the Lord to answer your prayers, there is a condition that must be met, and that is that you must abide in Christ. You must be in Christ. What does this mean to abide in Christ? To walk in His ways. To pursue Christ. That is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is having no idols before Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when you are walking faithfully in this abiding in Jesus Christ, what happens is that the desires of your heart begin to change so that your desires begin to reflect the desires of Christ for you so that there is a great harmony between what Christ desires for you and what you desire for yourself so that when you do pray, the Lord is more than eager to answer your request because it is something that is consistent with what the Lord desires for you. But that is not going to happen if you do not meet the condition, and that is that you abide in the vine who is Christ. And it's passages like these and many others that show us that prayer must be the lifeblood of every believer. It absolutely has to be. And there are trials, and there are sufferings, there are situations, there are things that happen to us that are unexpected, oftentimes that sort of causes us to, to gasp. But prayer is sort of our, our exhale. If Christ is going to keep you and preserve you and sustain you and uphold you in this life, it is never going to be apart from prayer. Prayer is what activates the promises of God. Prayer is knocking at the door of the throne of grace. Prayer is your walkie-talkie in your time of need. Prayer is the saint's means of taking hold of God. We understand why right? Jesus Christ holds us in times of trials and oppression and suffering and praise the Lord for that. We have that assurance in John chapter 6 that he will never lose any of those who are his. But prayer is the means by which we then in turn hold on to Christ. John Calvin writes, Discouragement may abound and almost overwhelm us as our warfare is unceasing and various assaults arise daily, but that gives all the more reason to discipline ourselves to persevere in prayer, even if we must repeat the same supplications, not twice or three times only, but as often as we need, a hundred, a thousand times. He is so bold and direct, to say this, he says, ceasing to pray when God does not answer us quickly is the surest part that we have never become a believer. 
Now, there are certainly times when we continue to pray. And, and by the way, the Scriptures encourage us to continue to pray for the same things, to be persistent in asking for the same things. Now, what Calvin is not saying here is that, someone who, that the person is an unbeliever when they keep praying for the same things and stop praying for the same things for whatever reason. Maybe God has answered and said the answer is no. But what he's talking about here is when a person ceases to pray altogether, when they are praying to the Lord, and finally they say, you know what, I'm done praying. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to seek the Lord anymore. Calvin says, that person is giving the short mark that they may be an unbeliever. What we see is that in the time of need, the church prayed. And the scriptures encourages us to continue to pray and command us to pray. And even if we're praying for the same things over and over again, to continue to pray until we know we have received an answer. And when the church prayed, they received boldness. Now, the lesson we draw from this is that a most efficient method for growing in boldness is to pray for boldness. It's not going to most... Sure, you could be helped by a self-help book or some kind of strategy or program, whatever the case might be. But we see in the life of the apostles, and not the first time we see it in the book of Acts, the most efficient method of growing in boldness is to pray for boldness. And you know that God is more than eager to answer that request. How could he withhold that request if the desire is to have boldness to continue to proclaim his gospel? The Lord wants his church to have boldness, but he waits for the church to ask for that boldness. And this is a supernatural boldness. It's given from above. I mean, consider the context in the face of opposition after having been threatened, after having been arrested, right, charged, stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They got the priority straight. They said, we need to continue to preach the gospel. This is what we commit to do, but we need something that comes from above. We need boldness. And they got it. Really, the main point of this section, I believe, is God's blessing his church's boldness, or bold decision, rather, to fulfill their assignments. It is God's blessing, his church's bold decision to fulfill their assignment. But I think a second point from this passage, sort of driving from that main point, which is the one really I want to leave you with, is that God, as I said earlier, God produces results when the church prays. He does. And we must believe that he does. When I walk people through the church covenant when they're pursuing membership. I walk them through that covenant. Part of that covenant is to faithfully pray for your church. To faithfully pray for your church. Right? It's one of the reasons why we pray on Sunday mornings. It's one of the reasons why we put this prayer booklet for people to share their prayer requests so that you can take that with you and pray for people, pray for these requests throughout the week. It is a way of committing or fulfilling that covenant to pray faithfully for your church. 
right? And if you haven't been able, for whatever reason, to add your prayer request to that booklet, feel free. Come to me, ask Brooke. We'd be happy there's a place in the back of those booklets for people to add those prayer requests. I'd be happy to include them on Sunday mornings as well. But it's a way to encourage us to continue to play, pray faithfully for the church. And if I could, and maybe I will, add just one thing else to that church covenant is to faithfully pray with your church as well. To pray faithfully with the church. Since beginning the book of Acts, I've grown increasingly burdened to pray more, to pray more with, with you all, to pray more with God's people. And so, two things to sort of leave with by way of conclusion. One, as I said, pray. Pray for your church. Pray for the needs of those next to you, of those around you. The prayer requests of one is the prayer requests of all. The needs of one is the needs of all. And secondly, something you won't be able to do yet, but I'm letting you know beforehand so that when the opportunity comes, you remember I told you. I think, personally, I think it's time to to resurrect prayer services. As a church, we should pray more. And in time, and I'm thinking within in the next month, I'd love to be able to have an opportunity to pray with God's people, to pray with you all. Time, location will be sent to you as it gets closer. But there will always be needs, and that's not a complaint. But the needs remind us, should remind us, that we need to pray. Needs should gather the church together, and when the church gathers, the church should pray. And when the church prays, the Lord will answer. So that's really the idea behind having prayer services. So between now and a month from now, consider meeting with God's people, coming if you can, if time allows, if you can make the time to meet with God's people, to pray, to make your needs known, and pray together as a body, the body of Jesus Christ. And we need to continue to lift our requests unto the Lord. Make our needs known to one another. And so, and if in the time in the time being, right, if you're not yet a part of a community group, that is also another opportunity to pray with God's people. So I would encourage you to attend one of those regularly. Not only to be in the word, but also to be in prayer as well. So with that, let's pray. Lord, what an encouragement that we see here in this passage, which we also see in numerous other places in the entirety of the scriptures, that when God's people pray, God answers. 
God, and, and sometimes the answer does not come at the time that we desire. Sometimes the answer does not come in the way that we desire. Sometimes the answer we ask for is not the answer you give. But the scriptures affirm that God will answer. We just need to ask. And Lord, there are many of us here who have perhaps been praying for the same things for a long time. Perhaps weeks, perhaps months, perhaps years. Whether it is the salvation of a loved one. Whether it is provision. Whether it is healing. Lord, we pray for their encouragement. That they may continue to pray. Lord, Cause our faith to rise. Give strength to our faith. So that we may wholeheartedly believe that when we pray, when we come to you, not only do you listen, but you will respond in some way, shape, or form. Lord, you are the giver of good gifts. Everything that we have today comes from your hand. And we also have a promise that you also work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Just as you did in the life of Christ and predestining his crucifixion at the hands of sinners in order to ultimately accomplish our salvation. Lord, you are a good God. You are a good Father. You never tire of us coming to you, even if it's 10,000 times a day, even if it's praying for the same thing over and over again. You never tire of listening to the voices of your precious children. So Lord, in turn, help us to not tire or grow weary in coming to the throne of grace and seeking and asking and knocking. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Church, let's, uh, let's stand and worship uh, one more time in song. Amen. In response to today's word. We're saying, O church, arise. Amen. O church, arise and put your armor on. Be the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith, 
We must arise, Father, and gather and pray as we heard today and strive, Lord, to grow together in maturity in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you may equip us, Lord, with boldness. Teach us, teach us, Lord, how to pray. God, may we remain faithful in our call to make disciples of all nations. And with that, Lord, fill us with a deep yearning through your Spirit, Lord, of the things of the Lord. Father, may may we abide deeply in you, O God. God, sustain us. Sustain us, Lord, in, in our prayers and in the assurance, God, 
of the gospel. Lord, help us, help us to believe, to believe that you answer prayers. And by the grace of God, let us not stop praying, God. But may we arise and continue in the faith. Persistent and persevering, Lord, till the end. For you are worth it, worth all of it, Father. Worthy of our praise you are, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For our benediction, the word of God says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of, of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Church, uh, before you are dismissed, I remember that we'll be meeting at the playground in about five minutes, so if we can keep that in mind. All right, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.